theosy, the technical definition of theosy is the vindication of divine goodness and providence in the view of the existence of evil. Theologians call this doctrine God and the problem of evil. And, and there's a lot that we can talk about. Right? This, this is a very apologetic-like topic. And I won't be able to cover everything that, that involves the problem of evil and God. But in this message, I especially want to focus in on suffering. And I want to focus in on how suffering reveals the goodness of God. And so turn with me then to Lamentations chapter 3. Your Bibles turn to Lamentations chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 24. And the book of Lamentations is, well, it's, it's about lamenting. It's, it's, there, there's, there's a lot of grief involved. And then the author of the book is often attributed to Jeremiah the prophet, which makes sense because we know him as the weeping prophet. And in Lamentations, Jeremiah is lamenting to God. He's crying out to God about his agony while, he's, while he and his people are in exile. But as we read the Lamentation, we'll soon realize that Jeremiah is lamenting more than just for his own personal suffering. He is the voice of his own people. It's what one commentator called a city lament. Jeremiah's cry to God represents the grief of all of Israel. And it is in the midst of Jeremiah's lament, right here in the middle of the book, where we find then these sweet three verses, a small prayer of hope. These verses, they're, they're, like, they're like a glowing ember in the midst of a cold, dark night. You just, you just want to get close to it as as much as you can to stay warm. So let's read this passage together. Lamentations 3, verse 22 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion and my says my soul. Therefore, I will hope. In him. When we look at these three verses, there's such great truths being proclaimed here about God. And the, the question that must be going through our head is how can Jeremiah proclaim such truths about God while his people are in the midst of their greatest suffering? In other words, can these words, can these attributes of God, the steadfast love of God, can these words remain true when God is the one who allows suffering to happen on his people? Why does God allow suffering for his people? My quick answer is this. God uses suffering to display his glorious goodness to his people and draw them back to himself. In our sermon tonight, we will see then three attributes of God's goodness. Three attributes of God's goodness that suffering will reveal to us. And these three attributes then should give you hope to endure in your suffering today. And these three attributes then are God's sovereignty, God's forgiveness, and God's beauty. God's sovereignty, God's forgiveness, and God's beauty. 
and we will look at God's sovereignty first. And, and most of our message that's going to be in this first point, because God's sovereignty is it's 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 this big concept. And what's going to do is going to serve as a bedrock, a foundation for us to understand then His forgiveness and His beauty afterwards. So let's take a look at this. Suffering reveals the sovereignty of God. Suffering reveals the sovereignty of God. In order to understand this, we must first examine the historical context of Lamentations. Lamentations was written during the Babylon exile. Israel, once a great nation, right? Israel, this one nation that, that, that King David had his throne there and he was able to defeat all of Israel's enemies and this nation was built up into this great and powerful nation in all the lands. And now this great nation lies broken and destroyed. The capital, Jerusalem, is in ruins. The people are exiled and enslaved. And the temple of God is barren. Hope has all but vanished away. In the book of Lamentation, it opens up in this way. In chapter 1, verse 1, we read, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. We have here a picture of a bustling city. Filled with empty streets now. A once joyous town now laden with silent agony. This is much like how, how the media is describing New York these days in the midst of the pandemic. Verse 2 of chapter 1. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. We start getting a bigger picture of the suffering. You see, Israel neglected God. And she looked to other nations and wanted what they have. Israel was like a needy friend who attached herself to one nation after another, one idol after another, until every single one of her friends betrayed her, became her enemy. And so we keep reading verse 3. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. And then we reach verse 5, where God enters the scene. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. This we see here. What's happened to Israel, what's happened to Jerusalem was the Lord's doing. He was the one who brought this affliction upon them. This, this was no mere random act of evil. This was God judging the nation and punishing them for their sins. Let's, let's take a step back and let's examine the bigger picture here. Israel. Israel knew 
that they were God's covenant people. They knew that they were his chosen nation. And as they rose in power, Israel recognized their importance to the world. God wanted them to be a symbol of hope to the rest of the world. And they thought they were invincible because God was on their side. And it was in that cloak of invincibility where Israel thought they can get away with sin. They lost their fear of God. Isn't it, isn't it funny that is when we feel the strongest, that's when we tend to fall? That the moment we start taking our blessings for granted, that's when we start to succumb to sin. Israel fell into the Babylonian Empire. And when that happened, their identity as a nation, as the people of God, that was shattered. Their confidence was broken. The people started doubting. They started wondering, has God left us? What happened to his promises? Have we crossed the line of no return? Will God's anger be upon us forever? You see, when we begin to suffer and when we begin to realize just how helpless you are, that's actually when we finally start turning our attention back to God. That's when we start looking to God for some stability. Will God's anger be upon us? That's the question that we continue to ask. And as we continue to look to God, we're just grasping for some answers. And what we need to hold on to is God's sovereignty. Because God here is in complete control. God did not make a rash decision when he decided to punish Israel. It was not an impulsive action. God promised this curse actually back in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God presented two paths for Israel. Obey and receive blessings. Disobey and receive the curses of God. And the curses of God, the route of disobedience, was the route that Israel took. And thus their consequence was their exile. Israel's suffering then, Israel's suffering in exile served as a reminder that they belong to the Lord. They belong to the Lord because their sins, who judged them? It was God. Ultimately, they have to answer to Him. Suffering reveals the sovereignty of God because suffering is God's way of reminding people who really is in control. And just as he promises curses for disobedience, God also promises restoration for those who repent. In Jeremiah 29, God promises to end the exile. The goal of Israel's suffering was to repent and turn back to the Lord. We read in Jeremiah chapter 29, in chapter 29, we looked in at verses 10 to 12. We have this famous passage, often taken out of context, but, but within, the, within the right context, that the fact that Israel is indeed suffering right now. God says this, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And so what we see here is a key difference between believers and unbelievers. You see, for unbelievers, when suffering hits them, suffering then becomes a taste of their future condemnation. They grieve with no hope. But for believers, for God's people, suffering is meant for our discipline. It's meant to draw us back to God. In other words, suffering is a reminder that the God who is angry at us is the same God who has great compassion and love for us. And so when we turn back into Lamentations, and we read in our passage, Lamentations 3, and we look at verse 22, we start to get an understanding of what Jeremiah here is saying. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Jeremiah describes this in further detail in verses 31 to 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. In the midst of our suffering, we are reminded that this is no random act. God is working for our good. And he is working for the good of his glory. God is indeed a truly sovereign God. And whatever he says, whatever he plans, whatever he wills, will indeed happen. Look at verse 37, 38. Who has spoken and come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? In the same way, when we look at the tragedies in the world, there is no such thing as a random tragedy. The coronavirus, do you think that took God by surprise? I mean, if it did, then we should be grieving. Because if, if God is not in control behind this pandemic, then we have no hope. Because if God is not in control of this pandemic, that means there's some outside force outside of God's control that can derail the faith of his people. It would mean that our God is not all-powerful and not all-knowing. But thankfully, thankfully, our God is a sovereign God. And therefore, everything from earthquakes to fires to cancer to pandemics, none of them are purposeless events. Every single one of them, God is behind them all. And God is faithful to use them for his good, for his purposes, for his glory. Ultimately, we, we may not know the full details of this plan. We don't know, you know, when a vaccine will, will be made. We don't know when this will end. But we do know who God is. And we know that He is indeed abounding in love and full of compassion. And that He is indeed good. And so in the midst of our trials, the question we must ask ourselves is whether or not we still trust God. 
if you truly believe that God is sovereign and that He is good, then everything, everything, including your suffering, you'll find contentment and joy. This is why Paul can write in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. John Piper, he wrote a new book, Coronavirus in Christ, and you know, John Piper wrote a book in a span of like a couple of weeks. I wonder what we have done in our past month at home. John Piper in his new book, his, his main thesis statement is this. He says, knowing that the same sovereignty that could stop the coronavirus yet doesn't is the very sovereignty that sustains the soul in it. That same truth does not just apply to the coronavirus. God's sovereignty, His faithfulness, His promises. God can become our steadfast hope in every trial that we face. Suffering then reveals the sovereignty of God. But as we continue to dig deeper into this, we start asking more questions. For instance, why must people die? Why can't God just put hiccups to our lives? Why go to such extremes to demonstrate who he is? And the answer is this. Suffering reveals the forgiveness of God. Let us then look. Let us then look at some of the sufferings that Israel faced. And I want us to paint a picture here to get an understanding of what Israel was looking at, what they were enduring through during their time in exile. It's a dark picture. It's rated them for mature. Let's look then at Lamentations chapter 2. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 11 says, My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babes faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, Where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their lives is poured out on their mother's bosom. Children are dying on the laps of their mothers. Just imagine the agony and pain in this picture. It gets worse if you flip with me to Lamentations chapter 4, starting in verse 3. It says, Even jackals offer the breasts. They nurse their young. But the daughters of my people, they have become cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. The tons of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of his mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. We have children dying of starvation, infants pleading for food, and yet they're neglected. But it gets even worse. Lamentation chapter 4, verse 10. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. 
you should be horrified by this picture. Jeremiah is. You cannot believe the type of evil that was coming upon his people. Not only have they failed, but their moral compass is out of whack. Why then? Why would God allow for such horrific acts of evil? Because you know, we, you know, we might be okay with enduring through some suffering, but this is just a whole other level. And what's going on here is that this horrific picture becomes display, a physical display of what sin looks like in the eyes of God. In other words, this should indeed make you grieve in pain. It should hurt. You should feel broken. And yet that brokenness is just a small taste of how God feels about our sins. Our sins are absolutely foul in his eyes. Sin is a vile stench of this world. Sin stains and corrupts the purity of his creation. Turn with me to Ezekiel. God gives a picture of how he views their disobedience and their sin. Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Speaking to the exiles, he says, Those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they carry captive, how I have been broken over their whoring hearts that has departed from me, over their eyes that go whoring after idols, and they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils that they have committed for all their abominations. And they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would do this evil to them. God wants us to hate sin the way he hates sin. Piper writes in his new book, he says, Physical evil is a parable, a drama, a signpost pointing to the moral outrage of rebellion against God. Let me then ask you, how, how casual have you treated your own sins? Do you realize the horrors of evil in your own heart? The lies, the anger, the idolatry, the sexual immorality. Every sin, no matter how big or small, is vile against a holy and just God. Our suffering is an appetizer, a warning for the full wrath of God, for what that will look like. In the final days, God hates our sins so much that it took the death of his own son to satisfy his wrath against us. There on the cross was an infinite cost for our sins. Jesus paid it with his own blood and in Jesus, he suffered death so that we can live suffering then reminds us that every day our sins condemn us. Death is a reminder of the consequence of our sins. We deserve death, and yet every day we get to wake up and experience God's blessing and His grace. In other words, in the face of suffering and death, we are reminded of the beauty of the gospel. Suffering points us to the cross, because the cross is where Jesus suffered. 
On the cross, Jesus suffered the most gruesome death ever known to mankind. On the cross, Jesus experienced the full wrath of God laid down upon him. Suffering reminds us that Christ suffered a greater pain in our place to pay for our sins. Also that we can enjoy God's unending grace. And so when we then turn back to Lamentations and we look at verse chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, we find the hope in God, this hope that lies underneath all the suffering, that though judgment reigns upon Israel, they know they have hope in God, that they will not be utterly destroyed because God's mercy still reigns. And he is willing to forgive his people. And we read that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. This truth, it, it, it just becomes clearer in the midst of our suffering. Suffering magnifies the condemnation of our sin and in turn it magnifies the forgiveness we receive from God. Lastly, suffering reveals the beauty of God. Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The word portion here, it refers to a share of spoils, an inheritance. It's just having a piece of the pie. The word, the word is used uh, when the land was being divided up amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. Each one of them were to receive their inherited lot or their portion. But for the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Levi didn't get a piece of land. Instead, it says their portion will be in the Lord. In other words, God will be their precious treasure who will sustain them with everything that they need. The psalmist spoke of God as their portion. God is the one who will sustain them forever with blessings. And so here then in lamentation, suffering brings to light this truth. That the Lord is my portion. Meaning no other God can satisfy man's heart. No other God can truly bring us joy. The world only offers false promises. We look at Lamentation chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. In other words, suffering here, removes all these lies, these, this misleading falsehood, and suffering then reveals the beauty of God. Because suffering then tears away all the fluff. It takes away our security blankets, and we have to stand naked before God. Suffering exposes our hearts, but more importantly, it reveals our need for God. And it reveals that our need to cling to the cross. You see, in the world of suffering, Everyone is looking for some good news, right? We don't need some good news. We need the good news. It is then no wonder why Paul can write in 2 Corinthians 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul can say in verse 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The good news of Jesus Christ promises us a great and everlasting reward. There is no comparable beauty than what is found in the gospel. Make Christ in your treasure. Treasure Christ and no disease, no pain, no suffering or grief can ever diminish your joy and hope in God. And so then what can we say about Lamentations? What can, what can Lamentations teach us during this time when we're all scattered and exiled into our own homes and we're unsure about the future? There are three final implications I want to leave with you. Lamentations provide a complete display of God's grace and wrath. Here we remember that God is not like us. God does not experience emotions like we do. He is not a moody person. He doesn't snap in anger. God is eternal and unchanging. And what that means is that all his attributes, his love, his compassion, his grace, his power, all of it exists consistently and perfectly all the time. And on the cross, all those attributes are placed on display for us to behold. Secondly, Lamentations teaches us how to grieve with hope. How to grieve with hope. In other words, it's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to cry out to God in weakness and uncertainty. See, during this time when, when we're in the midst of this pandemic, we have to be, we're reminded. We are reminded that we are indeed in a fallen, evil world. We are reminded that our life right now is not paradise. And that sin still exists. And because of that, we should grieve. We should grieve to the Lord. And as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. No, we indeed grieve with a great hope of redemption in God. Finally, lamentation reminds us that the world needs Christ. The world needs the gospel. Because as Lamentation teaches us that God's mercy are new every day, we have to remember God's mercy is new, not just for us, but for all people. Every unbeliever who lives to see another day lives for another chance to hear the gospel and be saved. This is mercy. Because everyone, everyone deserves to die in their sins. And what we see, what we see in this world today is people in the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of this pandemic, they keep looking for someone to blame for this hardship. But finding a fall guy won't solve anything. Finding God will provide all the hope they need. Everyone, everyone right now, who gets to wake up to a new day, 
is to wake up to a chance to hear about this good news about Christ. And each new day is another day where the church can fulfill her mission and proclaim that gospel to others. We, we carry with us a treasure and a hope that this world desperately needs to hear and know today. And so let us then carry that hope with us, in us, grounded by the sovereignty of God, knowing that God indeed is good and embracing then the trials of our life, knowing that ultimately because God's control, everything has its purpose, everything has its good, and it's for the glory and exaltation of our Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and then I will hand the controls back to Calvin. Um, And I do have some discussion questions um, for us as we break into groups. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we will gather together and study your word. We thank you, Lord, for a book like Lamentations that we can be able to dig through. And even though there's so much pain in this world, we see that you indeed are still good and that your faithfulness, your steadfast love still exists. And it's constant and it's there. And we get to embrace it because of what Christ has done for us. And so, Lord, may we then carry that treasure out into our lives, wave it around like our banner, show the world where we find our hope, where we find our joy. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your son. Oh, Lord, how much more then, how much more can we then depend upon you? Thank you, God, for this time. Bless everyone who's here and bless our time together in our groups. I pray all this in your name. Amen.